Every once in a while, a man or a woman is born who eventually changes the world. Men like Napoleon, he's, he's born into one world, but by the time he leaves, the whole map of the world looks different. Who controls the world looks different. You know, history has produced these world changers, right? People like, like William Wilberforce, he's born into a world where slavery rules the day. And by the end of his lifetime, slavery had begun making its way to its end. And then of course, men like Abraham Lincoln and then eventually Martin Luther King Jr., they finished the job, right? They, they moved the world, they changed the world. There are men and women, whether it's with their passions or their giftedness or their sheer drive, they literally changed the course of human history. And of course, Henry Ford was one of those guys. This is a 1924 Model T. I mean, this is one of the original vehicles. Now you think about transportation and how important it is to your life or to my life. It is amazing. Without the automobile, the world would look just so radically different. And Henry Ford, he comes along, he has this dream of putting an automobile into the hands of every single man and woman in all of America and eventually the world. It's crazy, right? And this was so revolutionary that it literally made Henry Ford one of the most successful men in human history. I want you to think about this. I was at this wedding and I did this wedding at like the Henry Ford estate and they had this diary of, of Henry Ford and it was in 1907 that he wrote into his diary uh, a letter to his children that basically stated that he was so poor that all he could give to his children for Christmas was like a bag of apples. Now what's remarkable is that five years later he goes from being impoverished to the richest man in the world. Fortunes change and this man changed history. This man changed the world. Now for all the great world changers that have ever been, I mean, and there have been a whole bunch of them, but for all the men and women who have, who have contributed to the human cause, right, who have moved uh, humanity forward, you know, even think about uh, great men like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates with the uh, computers and, and the phones and everything like that. It is amazing what these men have contributed, but there is one man who has changed human history more than anybody else. One man who has, who has changed the course of civilization, single-handedly dominates the landscape of history. And that man would be Jesus Christ, the, the Jesus of the Bible. Now, many of us have really never even thought about this. And even those of us who, who believe and follow Jesus, uh, we, we, we think of him only as a, as a spiritual leader, as, uh, as a revolutionary of soul, right? But he's much more than that. Jesus literally changed the world, the history of the world, the Western thinking, the, the, the civilization you and, I, you and I live in and take for, for granted, it came primarily through the person of Jesus, what he taught and how he lived and the example that he left for the rest of humanity. He has changed the world more than any other single person. 
As a matter of fact, a man that you may have heard of, a guy named H.G. Wells, spoke about Jesus one time. Now, H.G. Wells is uh, a really famous writer and historian, a philosopher, and he speaks about Jesus like this. It's very, very interesting. He says, I am a historian. I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. He, he's looking at, at the scope of humanity. He says, Jesus is in the dead middle of it all. Then he says this, Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of human history. Uh, that, that man, Napoleon, that we talked about, Napoleon was a tyrant. Napoleon literally took over much of the known world during his day. He, he said it like this. He goes, I know men. This is Napoleon talking. He goes, I know men. And I can tell you, Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have all founded empires. But upon what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force, upon the sword, did he say, we built an empire. But listen to this, he says, Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And then Napoleon adds this, he says, at this hour, millions of men would rather die for him than me. That is amazing. You see, Jesus had this effect on human history that we don't even quite grasp. We don't even understand. But it is so big and it is so wide. If you were to track through human history and the changes that have, that have occurred uh, and we go, wow, that man shaped the world, I would bet you that the shapers of the world more often than not go back to what Jesus originally taught. For, for example, you look at, at men like uh, Wilberforce, right? Wilberforce was born into a world of slavery where, where slavery just ruled the day. It was commonplace back in the 1500s in England. And by the time he ended his life, slavery was making its end, right? Um, and then of course, Abraham Lincoln, and then of, then of course later, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., they all pick up on this idea that we are created free. That, and, and that comes from who? They were all men tied to Jesus and to the thinking of Jesus. They rested upon Jesus. Even Nelson Mandela over in South Africa where he talked about this idea of apartheid or, or this idea of racism being embedded into a society. Uh, and he fought against that. And, and Nelson Mandela and even Gandhi and over, over in India, uh, they all were tied to a great thinker named Tolstoy. And Tolstoy was tied to the writings of Jesus. And all of these men eventually look back to Jesus for their inspiration and for their new way of thinking about how humanity should all be unified, how humanity should not be based upon the color of one's skin, but by the content of one's character. Jesus has an amazing effect on human history. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to kind of take you on a, a journey on some of the ways that Jesus has changed the world, some of the ways that Jesus has benefited all of mankind, because without really thinking about it, uh, it'll just pass you by, but I think you're gonna find it quite amazing. Uh, and so the first thing I want you to think about is how Jesus changed children and how children are regarded in our world. It's crazy to think about as a father, but, but children were sacrificed for the sake of religion. 
back in, in, in before the days of Jesus. That was normal. It was accepted practice. As a matter of fact, the rulers back in this day of the world would, would often order the wholesale slaughter of children as some sort of punishment for a region or a village. It's crazy. Even at the time of Jesus, remember, it was accepted that, that Herod, King Herod, ordered all the deaths of children two years of age and under. You see, children were were considered property less than property. Children were considered expendable. Uh, even in the days of Rome, it's quite interesting. Uh, historians tell us that when Rome was at its height, the, the ratio between men and women had become uh, a great disparity. As a matter of fact, they would say that there was about 1.5 million men to every 1 million women. Why was that? Why was that? It was because baby girls were slaughtered. Baby girls were seen as less valuable and so that they were often left to die or even drowned in a nearby pond or pool or lake of some kind, a pool of water of some kind, on purpose because girls were not seen as valuable to society. And it was accepted practice that you, as a father or a mother, could kill your own child. Like when food would become scarce, uh, the very last to eat would be the youngest. The very last to eat would be the uh, the child who was weakest. And, and so what we see in Christ, that all began to change. As a matter of fact, Jesus, who was considered this rabbi, one of the great teachers, right, of the, of the people of Israel, he comes along and he says something strikingly different. He comes along and says, make sure you don't keep the children from me. Another one of the great teachings of Jesus, he, he was talking about those people who hurt children. He, he said it like this, Jesus said that it will be better for the person to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into a lake uh, rather than hurting a child or causing a child to suffer. You see, Jesus elevated the status of children. And if you were to look back through Christian history, uh, the world after Christianity, you would see that children now had this this place of protection. For, for example, almost all of the early adoption agencies were Christian. Almost all of them. Almost all of the early orphanages were, were solely ran by Christians. They, they had this heart for children that the world up until that point had never had before. And this transformation regarding children also extends to women. Now it's interesting, people often think that uh, that Christians are misogynist or Christians are homophobic or Christians are intolerant of other people or people groups. And, and that is simply not at all what Jesus taught. It is simply fabrication that people believe that. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jesus solely elevated the status of women. Let me, let me explain this. So Jesus was this great rabbi and this great religious teacher of his day. And people were coming to him and running after him and following him and, and uh, getting their lives around him, right? And they saw something that Jesus did regularly that no one else in the world had done up to that point. He invited women to be part of his entourage, to, to follow him. As a matter of fact, when you read through his stories in the gospel, you'll see over and over that women were always around. They were listening in, that he welcomed women into the inner circle. And this was in a man's world. Sorry, ladies, but the world at this time excluded women from, from thinking circles, from philosophical circles, from the religious circles. Uh, they simply were not welcomed in until Jesus came along. Jesus changed all that and says, no, no, no. These women, they can be parts 
of us. They can be part of who we are. Uh, and of course, the scripture teaches something crazy. When, when Paul, one of the earliest followers of Jesus, began to write the pages of the New Testament Bible, Paul was one of the very first characters, large characters in all of human history to ever elevate the status of women. As a matter of fact, he goes so far as to say in the book of Ephesians that there is neither male nor female in Christ, but all are equal in Christ. That was revolutionary. I mean, you think of it as small things, but this is not a small thing. This is a huge deal. In a world controlled by men, the gospel, Jesus, Christianity, comes along and says, no, no, no. No, women and men, they're both gifted from God. They're both created by God. They're sons and daughters of God. And so whether you believe or follow Jesus or not, you, you, you just have to understand that he, he changed the world for women and children. And, and I want you to think about something else. I think you might find this really interesting. Uh, Jesus changed the world regarding education. You see, in the world in which Jesus came, uh, education was for the elite. The common man did not read and did not write. Uh, but Jesus, the great teacher, the great rabbi, insisted that his followers study the scriptures, that they would know the scriptures so that they would be able to read, write, and memorize the scriptures. As a matter of fact, if you were to go back through human history, it was in the dark ages that the world had become virtually illiterate. And who preserved writing? Who preserved reading and, and the art of teaching? It was Christians, it was the monks, it was the monasteries that kept the world of literature alive. And then of course in the 1500s, uh, a man named Gutenberg comes along and he uh, invents this machine called the printing press, right? And what was his passion? What was his drive for the printing press? He wanted the world to be able to have a Bible for themselves, to hold it in their hands. You see, Christians have propelled this idea of education from the very days of Jesus. And if you were to look back through American history from 1620 to the mid 1800s, uh, education was private and it was usually Christian. And, and in the first uh, almost 200 years of American history, the first 123 universities and colleges, almost every single one of them, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, all of them were established for the glory of Jesus Christ. They were established as Christian places of higher education. Christianity literally changed the world of education. And I want you to think just for a moment about our own history as Americans. Um, ours is a nation that is founded on Christian principles. Now, I know when you say that, all sorts of people get up in arms and they want to deny it and they want to yell about it and, and deny that it's true at all. But, but friends, it is absolutely true. As a matter of fact, our founding document, the Declaration of Independence, is based around that, that the equality of men comes from God, that the rights toward freedom and liberty, it comes from God himself. Uh, our forefathers, they were firmly rooted in, in Christian thought, in biblical understanding, in biblical principles. Now, I'm not saying that everything our early forefathers did was Christian and not all of them were Christians, but clearly Christ and the thinking of Jesus influenced the world and it influenced our 
little country's founding. It's true. As a matter of fact, our very first president was a man named George Washington. And when George Washington was inaugurated as our president, he grabbed his family Bible and he took it upon himself as he swore his oath to fulfill his duties. He, he said, he, he did this by placing his hand on the Bible and then he added on his own accord, so help me God. And nearly every president since then has done the same, asking God to bless their leadership, asking God to lead their leadership. And as a matter of fact, after George Washington was inaugurated as president, his very first, his very first act as the president of the United States, the first president of the United States, was to call the entire Congress and the entire judicial system to go to church with him, not once, but twice on the day of his inauguration. So right from the very beginning, we see that ours was a nation that was founded under God, under the thinking and influence of Jesus. And it is striking to me how many people who, uh, who, who maybe don't believe, and, and, and again, you have the right not to believe, but it is striking how they deny the role of his influence in, in not only American history, but in the history of the world and all of these good things that have been brought to humanity. I want you to think about another thing. Think about the world of medicine. Uh, we, don't, we don't think like this, but, but Jesus changed the world of medicine. When Jesus came some 2,000 years ago, uh, if you were the poor and if you were the sick, uh, you, were, you were hopeless. Nobody cared. Nobody helped you, just your family. There were not hospitals or doctors who would come to your aid, or very, very few. Uh, you see, healthcare was only for the rich, only for the aristocrat, only for the ruling class. The poor, the needy, they were left to their own. And yet, listen to this, Jesus was not only called the Messiah, Jesus was not only called the Son of God, but Jesus was given a nickname. He was called the Great Physician. Because why? Because he purposed to show love, to show care for the sick and, and for the needy, for the poorest among them. Jesus changed the thinking about medicine. He modeled a whole new way for, for us he, by, by caring for people that nobody else would care for. And the earliest Christians, they picked up on this. As a matter of fact, as early as the year 300 AD, some of the very first churches were being built in the world. Some of the very first ones. And they were often built with a medical center attached to them because the church, early Christians, saw that it was, was their duty to help the, the downtrodden, to help the poor and the helpless. It was their job. They thought it was their role to care medically for people. And then of course, if you fast forward through human history, um, most of the great early hospitals were formed because of Christians. Uh, whether it be in Europe or in America, uh, many of our great hospitals have Presbyterian on the name or Methodist on the name or Baptist on the name. Christians getting together to care for the medical needs of people and we easily forget this. As a matter of fact, in America, Benjamin Rush, he was America's great first doctor, they say. We've talked about him before. But Benjamin Rush said that because Christ was a great physician, hence I want to follow in his footsteps and help those in need medically. Uh, and of course, Benjamin Rush and Ben Franklin, two of our earliest uh, forefathers, they got together and opened the very first hospital in America. And Ben Franklin himself says, what was the inspiration for his investing in the first hospital in America? He said it was the story of Jesus and the Good Samaritan. Jesus taught 
uh, the story where, where a man was hurt and a man was helpless and nobody cared. But a man who was called a Samaritan, a, a reject from society, uh, an outcast from society, he came and he cared for this, this neighbor, this man who was beaten and, and almost lifeless. And, and that story became known as the Good Samaritan. And Ben Franklin said that that was his inspiration for starting the first hospital in America. And I want you to think about one more area that's huge in human history. Think about the world of art. Think about how Jesus has inspired the art of the world. Some of the greatest architecture was inspired by Jesus. Think of the great cathedrals of old. Think about some of the buildings that have been erected in the name of Jesus and the honor of Jesus. Uh, think about some of the great painters and artists of the world. Men like Michelangelo, Raphael, Da Vinci. Some of the greatest masters of art were inspired by Jesus. Think of some of the great uh, writers in human history uh, inspired by Jesus. Men like Tolstoy, Hans Christian Andersen. Uh, think of Dante. Think of uh, T.S. Eliot or C.S. Lewis or Tolkien. Some of the greatest writing in human history has been inspired because of the gospel of Jesus. And think about music. Beethoven and Bach and, and Skillet inspired by Jesus. It is amazing when you think of the work that Jesus left behind. Think of the breadth of his influence that has been left behind. And I want you to think about this. When Jesus' life came to an end, he was, a, he, he was, he was rejected. He, he, he was at the lowest point. He was hanging on a cross for crying out loud. You see, when most of the great legends in human history, when they die, they die at the height of their game. Right? When, when, they, when, they, when they've reached their climax, when they've done their greatest work. But Jesus, in a human perspective, he dies on a cross and he ends at the lowest point. Nobody was following him. Nobody was running after him saying, that man's going to change the world. But you look now. You look now. Nobody has more followers in human history than this man from Nazareth. This poor, homeless, rejected carpenter. Look at the legacy he has left. There must be something about him. The very simple point I want to make is that Jesus lived a very simple life. And yet, his lasting legacy on humanity is exceedingly incredible, isn't it? I mean, you can't even measure it. It's unbelievable. Jesus has done more to affect more of the human experience for more people than any other single person that has ever walked our planet. Nobody has affected history more than Jesus. Nobody. And it's stunning. His legacy is absolutely stunning. He taught the world to love when the wor world was ruled by hatred. He, he taught the world pace, uh, peace when, when the world was governed by violence. He, he taught the world generosity when, when, the, when the culture of the day was, was greed. He, he taught the world diversity and inclusion when the world lived with, with utter separation and segregation. He, he taught the world equality that all of God's children 
were created equal when the world had only a few that were truly free. Jesus changed the world, didn't he? I mean, he just did. So friends, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, that's your call, but you cannot deny his lasting impact on the world. And the truth is, he has had an incredible impact on more areas of life, positive impact, than you can almost measure. You can't even hardly think of it, and we often don't think about his impact in the world right around us, even to this day, thousands and thousands of years later. Now, of course, listen, friends, um, there have been done a lot of things done in the name of Christ that were not godly at all, things that were terrible, things that Jesus never taught, modeled, or, 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 uh, or, or left for us in any single way. Those things are, are sin. Those things hurt the name of Christ. But they did not come for Christ. But it cannot be understated that whether you are poor or rich or young or old or black or white or simple or wise, no man has ever had the impact that Jesus has had in this world. His life, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection, they have changed everything. And we're barely scratching the surface. We could talk about all sorts of things. We, we can talk about how Jesus changed political theory. I don't know, you probably never thought about this, but he has changed political theory. When, when Jesus was walking the planet, he was walking in a world where, where one man, usually a king or a tyrant or an emperor, dictated all of the human experience. He owned the human experience. And Jesus comes into this culture and he says some, one time in his teaching something that was utterly shocking. Jesus comes along and he says this, and it changed the way we started to think about politics. He, he came along and he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. And friends, what this did for the first time, somebody stood up to this all-encompassing, all-powerful Roman empire uh, who, who, who thought they owned everything. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 no. There are certain things that the emperor cannot own. There are certain things that the Caesar that do not belong to him. There are certain things that, that the government cannot control. And he says that there are matters of the soul. There are matters of the heart that Caesar cannot take from you. And Jesus comes along and he says a crazy thing. He says, there's a whole new kingdom out there. It's my kingdom. And it's a kingdom that does not belong to this world. This is the very beginning of how we began to think differently about human rights and human dignity. Remember, this is the, the, very, the very concepts that Jesus spoke about, that certain things belong to government and certain things do not, is where we get our own declaration of independence from. You probably have never put this together, but those concepts that Jesus spoke go right into the concepts of the founding of our nation where we believe as Americans that there are certain inalienable rights. These rights are yours and they are self-evident rights because they don't come from government, they come from God. God has planted the rights of freedom inside of you. That man cannot control those things. That it comes from God. And this began to change the world. When Jesus lived and he taught and what he, what he modeled for us, we can't even measure the change that it has made in the world. And there, so there are lots of things that we could talk about, but, but, there, but there's one more thing that, that I want to introduce to you. I want to I let you know that there is something huge that Jesus introduced to the world. Let me, let me just get this for you. Okay. 
Jesus introduced this to the world. Not, not the idea of a cross. You get that, right? Rome had long since used a cross as a means of execution. But I want you to think about the change that occurred because of this. What was once known as a means of murder, what was once known as a means of dominance, what was once known as a means of torture and execution, has now become known as the way to grace, as the way to forgiveness and hope and mercy. You see, Jesus introduced a whole new way of thinking to our world. You see, into a world that, that did not understand this concept of forgiveness, into this, understand this concept of grace, Jesus comes and he says some crazy stuff. He, 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 he begins to speak to people and he says, listen, you have been taught all of your life. You have heard all of your life. He, he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. And Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 no. But I say to you something different than that. I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Who the heck teaches that? Who says that when the whole world is going the other direction? And Jesus comes along and he says some of these crazy things. He says, you've heard it said when, when, uh, when, when somebody takes something from you, you go after them, you take back them. He goes, no, 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 but I tell you, when somebody takes your, your tunic, give to him your, your cloak as well. When somebody takes your shoes, give him your socks as well. Who does that? But Jesus introduces a whole new way of love and grace and mercy to the world. He comes along and he says, you've heard it said. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. When someone comes after you, you go after them. And Jesus says, no more of that. We have to somehow break the cycle. Somehow we have to break this, this viciousness that, that just goes after each other. Every time you're hurt, you hurt somebody else. Every time you're let down, you let down somebody else. Every time you're broken, you break somebody else. And he says, enough is enough is enough. You've heard it said, you turn, you, 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 when someone strikes you on the cheek, you strike them back. No, no, I say to you, when someone strikes you on the cheek, you turn to him the other also. Who teaches that? Jesus. He comes along and he says, he says, into a world where, where the rich and the powerful hold all the keys to life, he looks at the common and the ordinary. He looks at the underdog and he says, blessed are you when you are poor and neglected because yours one day will be the kingdom of God. He looks and he says, blessed are you when you're downtrodden and when you're persecuted because you will inherit the kingdom of God. He, he comes along and he says to those who, who are used to finishing last, he, he comes along to those who are used to being on the bottom rungs of society, for those who, who can't seem to even get ahead of life, who can't seem to make it anywhere in life, he says to you, he goes, listen, 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 there's going to come a day where the last will be first. And those who serve 
on the bottom. They will be lifted up. And there's going to come a day when the proud who are, who are high and mighty over you, one day that they're going to be humbled. And the humble, he says, they're going to be lifted up. Jesus introduces love in a way that the human experience had never known before. He introduces a new way of humanity relating to one another in ways that the world had never known before. As a matter of fact, um, the scripture teaches us straight up the reason Jesus came. Look, look at this. The reason Jesus came, it's, it's recorded in John's record. And it's in the third chapter and starting in verse 16. It's very, very simple. It says, for God, for God so loved the world. For this is how God loved us. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And then he goes on to say it like this. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world. He's saying there's enough of that. There's enough pointing fingers. There's enough trying to be in charge. There's enough trying to say I'm right and you're wrong. He says there's no more of that. He says in the kingdom of God, it's going to be different. He says for God did not come into the world or send his son into the world to judge the world. (laughs) Listen to this. But to save the world through him. Through him and what he's done. And so can I just tell you this? That, that nobody has affected human history more than Jesus. And let me tell you something. It was when I was a teenager. <laughs> Did Jesus change my history? He, he changed my story. It was when I was a teenager that Jesus find a arrogant and self-absorbed and a self-righteous young man. And he came in and he started to do something in my heart and in my soul. And he gave me a new direction. He gave me a new life. Listen, it is, it is when I was a teenager that Jesus changed me and he started to change me then and he's still changing me today. He started to work in me then and he's still at work in me today. He brought, he brought redemption and hope to my life in a way that I never knew before. And he's still bringing hope and redemption into my life. He changed my story personally. He did for me what I could not do for myself. He made, because of his work on the cross, where he paid the substitution for my sin, where he died in my place, where he says, listen, Father, the sin has to be covered. The sin of Jeremy has to be dealt with, but I'm going to deal with it instead of him. Instead of him dying, I'm going to die. Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself. And that's called grace. That's called grace. And for all of human history up to that point, mankind lived with this idea that somehow we got to arbitrate our way to God. Somehow we got to negotiate our way to God. And Jesus changed all that. And said the negotiations are done. They're final. They're paid for on the cross. You don't have to pay your debt of sin with God. You don't have to. And friends, he changed all of history. All of it. 
and he changed my history. And I don't know what you're going to do with this. I don't know if you believe or don't believe. But come on. We, we cannot say, <laughs> we cannot say that his life, this one simple life that should have went away when he died, because when he died, remember, there were no followers. When he died, everybody had given up. When he died, everybody scattered. There was no one left to follow, and it should have died with him, but it did not die with him. The moment, the, the movement should have died, stopped, but the, moment, the movement lived on and on and on and on, and it grows even in today in my heart and in some of your hearts. And let me tell you, this happens in my humble opinion because he is more than just a man. But that he was the son of God. And I'm gonna tell you something, the writers of scripture, the people who recorded this, we talked a little bit about this last week, the people who recorded these words, they absolutely believed it. And they said that he was the centerpiece of human history, that history was actually his story. That it was all about the life of Jesus. Everything up to that point pointed to him and everything after points back to him. Everything. And it's all culminating on a day one day in the future where it says, listen, listen, I don't know if you believe this, but this is what the writers of the scripture say. It says that one day, every single person, every single man, woman, and child, they will bend their knee before the Jesus who hung on the cross. They will bend their knee and all of humanity will look toward the name that is unlike any other name. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And I don't know what you're going to do with Jesus. It is up to you. But you can't dismiss him. He's had way, way too big of an impact for that. So Father, we come before you right now and I pray that your spirit would speak. God, that even right now, um, I don't know where my friends in this room are, but God, you know every single heart. I pray that your spirit would speak one and to all. To one and to all. Speak, oh God, for your child is listening.